You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. I'm happy Mother's Day to everyone. My name is Joey. I serve as one of the pastors here at Connection Church, and we're so glad that everybody's here today. So excited about this day as we continue in promises. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, I want you to turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 and stay right in those six verses this entire time today. So look with me to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the day. We're thankful for a day we can pause and celebrate mothers. And God, the the meaning they have to each one of us who is here, we certainly all have that in common. We all have a mother from different walks of life with different stories, some good, some bad. But God, as we walk through this text this morning, as you speak to our hearts this day, God, we pray that you work in each one of us. Open our minds, open our ears, our hearts, our souls, God. Permeate it. Plunder around inside of us, God, and change us where we need to be changed today. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, These verses are going to lead us into this grand finale of talking about fear and why being afraid of something. Why are we afraid of things? Where does fear come from? John did a great job talking about worry and anxiety last week. And we're going to bring this to a a different type of of anxiety, which is fear and, and where that fear may come from and what we need to overcome that fear. I don't know if you've ever been really afraid in a situation before. I mean really where the the heart starts pumping and and just all these things begin to sink in in your soul. A couple years ago, I don't know if you remember the movie The Butler. Great movie and uh, you know about a butler that served at the White House based on a true story. And Lisa and I, we're we're movie buffs. We love going to the movies and we happen to be in Savannah and, and decided to go see this movie in Savannah. And it was right when it came out. So we go in the theater and we find our seat there and, and it is absolutely packed. And we're doing what good moviegoers do. We're just shoveling down that popcorn. You know, that sound that people make when they, some, for some reason we all become like cows when we eat popcorn in a movie theater and, you know, mouths are open and people are making all this noise. It's, it's really kind of fun to watch and listen to. And every now and then Lisa has to correct me and go, uh, mouth's open, you know, and I, I'm just into it, you know, watching the movie and, and all this. And that's usually during the previews, <laughs> halfway through the bucket before that. But anyway, we, we get in there and we're, we're watching the movie and there are these two girls sitting next to Lisa. 
And as the movie's going on, it's pretty intense. Uh, if you've seen it, it's a pretty emotional movie. But it really wasn't an emotional time. And, and Lisa kind of leans back and she gives me a nudge and she kind of motions to this girl next to her and she's, this girl is sobbing. And not in this sadness sob, it's kind of like, like a fear. She, she looked almost terrified. And she leans over to Lisa and she says something to her and I'm kind of trying to figure out what's going on here. And then Lisa leans over to me and she says, she thinks that the man on this row has a gun. And I look down and I see this man about 10 people down and there's something kind of sticking up out of his hand. And it looked exactly like a gun. And I am starting to get these emotions and I'm playing out in my mind, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a hero or a zero in this thing? Because you always think, all, all guys, come on guys, we think through, I need to save this whole theater. What am I going to do to do this? Because I'm the only one in here with any sense whatsoever to do it. I can be, you know, like Captain America right here without the shield. So I'm thinking through, what, what am I going to do? But through that, this fear is coming up. This girl gets up and leaves and she says she's going to get the police officer who's outside. So she goes out. Police officer comes into the theater, walks all the way up. It's one of those stadium seats. We're about three rows from the top. Nowhere to go out the back, right? But I'm on the same row, so I figure if he starts shooting, I got a chance to get behind him, you know, or behind someone a lot bigger than me. Anyway, I, I was kind of glancing, and a cop comes, walks right by me. He's looking. He's looking down the aisle. He's checking things out, and he flicks his uh, flashlight on, and that gets everybody's attention. And the girl hasn't come back in yet. He leaves the theater, the cop does. This girl comes back in and she sits down, keep looking, we keep looking and she says something back to my wife and then Lisa says to me, it's just an umbrella. <laughs> Instant relief, right? Absolutely. But the fear, I mean the absolute just, I was terrorized. I was in the wake of all these other shootings that we've had over the past few years and just thought, for the love. Is, is it my luck that I'm going to be in this theater with this crazy man with an umbrella, right? He's going to kill all of us with the umbrella. And it was hard to, I missed about 30 minutes of the movie after that, you know, I was just like, oh, just trying to get my breath back and, and calm down. But fear was there. And there's so many things that we fear, that we fear from things that have happened, Almost like a post-trauma, we, we continue to have fears of things that have happened to us in the past, and they're legitimate. We fear things that are presently going on or, or waiting news that might be coming from a doctor's office, or, or we're in the midst of an illness, we're in the midst of someone dying uh, in our midst, or even the future. Those are the types, those almost irrational thoughts of thinking, what could happen? What might happen? And we fear the future. So this message of Hebrews has been a journey for us. And there are two major themes in this book. One of those themes is the revelation of God, the revelation of God through his word. And the second one is the work of Christ. And all through the first 12 chapters, we see this play out. The first few chapters is about the revelation of God and who God is in his word. And the author of Hebrews is constantly reminding of that. And then in the, in the next few chapters, seven through 10 or so, talks about the work of Christ and what he did on this earth and, and how that manifested for us. And by the time we get to chapter 13, we have a good idea of what Christianity is, a good idea of the faith. 
Well, chapter 13 is a reminder if you're dealing with these things that we just read about, dealing with loving others, dealing with impurity, and dealing with coveting other things, then we may have missed the point. We may have missed the point of the first 12 chapters if these things are still a problem. So if this is true, then it is demanded that we be loving, that we be pure, and that we be content. We be loving, we be pure, and be content. So let's start there with the first one, to be loving. The text says, let mutual love continue. Let it continue. The text starts out with this warning that the the breakdown of the concern of others, the concern of our our brothers and sisters could be detrimental to our faith. It could be the downfall of who we are as Christians. And when barriers are built between us and other people, then there are barriers built between us and God. There's no way that we can pursue Christ, that we can love God and claim that we love God and have barriers between us and other people. It's just a spiritual impossibility. And a lot of us seem to want to live that way, though. And it's a challenge for us of of what is our faith really doing if we can come to church, we can be a part of a connect group, we can be a part of things and read the scripture and pray and do all of those things, but still have this animosity towards other people. It, It just cannot work at the same time. So there's always this tension that's going on if that's something that you are dealing with. But notice the word continue. There's a theme in this chapter of endurance, of continuing to do things, to continue to work hard, continually act out what we say we believe and do what we say we're going to do because at any moment it could come to an end. At any moment we could, leave, we could breathe our last breath here and breathe our first breath in the presence of a holy God. So work hard and endure and continually love those around us. In verse 2, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So on one hand, he challenges us to love our brothers and sisters, but then goes right into, but don't forget, don't neglect the strangers. Don't neglect the people that you do not know. Because not only are we to show love to our community of believers, but also to the people we've never met. I came across this word in in my studies, and then also on television last night in a show I was watching, the word came up again, and that's xenophobia. Anybody heard of xenophobia before? The fear of foreigners, the fear of strangers. It's a real thing. It's a fear that people have. Those who are different from us, those people we refer to them as. And when we call on you to help, when we call this congregation, this church, this body of Christ to come together and support a mission trip to Romania, when we come together and we, we ask each of us to, to give to support a mission trip to Honduras, those people, those who are not like us, heck, when we call on you to come together and work in a service week, Many of us found ourselves in places that we don't normally go. Found ourselves in houses and, and in, uh, around people that we're usually not around because they're not like us. So this love we have for each other must go beyond the four walls of this church. It goes outside of here. It's more than just an emotion, more than just something we share and hear and deal with in this room or in a living room in a connect group. It goes way beyond what better way can we express 
the unmerited love that Christ had for us than caring for those who we may never see again. What a great testimony of our faith. The author says, by showing this brotherly love, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. The angels unaware. There's been movies and books and everything written about this. Songs, good old country songs written about angels unaware, right? There's an ancient legend that Abraham planted a tree at a place called Beersheba. And he planted this tree to create a resting place for foreigners. He actually put a tree in place to let it grow so that people he would never meet would have a place to stop and rest. Isn't that what happens when we go? When we go to a foreign place, when we go to somewhere we've never been before, we plant seeds, and hopefully God continues to do what he's promised he will do. And then for those who come behind us, enjoy the fruits of what we may have labored over. When we give, when we give to things that we may not ever see, when we give to things that support people we will never meet, that's what he's talking about. The strangers. Don't neglect the strangers. Christians who traveled could not be dependent on the ends of those days. The inns and the hotels were, were little better than brothels. They were not safe. They were not clean. You could not go in there and enjoy a good night's rest. They were dangerous. So Christians were obligated and felt obligated to open their homes to these traveling Christians, those who were sharing the word of God, who were sharing this new gospel. They were called to open their homes so that the gospel message could continue. What a calling. What an obligation that we have as Christians to do those sorts of things, to help the ongoing, to help the furthering of the Christian message. These early Christians remembered the words of Jesus when he said, when you do these things to the least of these, when you do this to the least of these, you do this to me. Jesus said that. When you help anyone else, you're helping me. Right from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And verse three says, remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are in prison. Caring for people in prison was a duty. It was a duty in that day. There are many instances of sacrificial care for imprisoned Christians. They would feed the prisoners. They would raise money to ransom them, to get them out of prison. As though you were in prison. Care for them as though you were in prison. Because all Christians, all Christians were a candidate for prison. They could be locked up at any time for sharing this new message, this dangerous message, this scary gospel that was shaking the absolute foundation of the Jewish culture, of a culture that had been established thousands and thousands of years ago. It was turning it upside down, and these Christians could be imprisoned at any time. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves are being tortured. Treat them as you yourself is there. What, what the author is saying is that they may be imprisoned at any moment. And if you're imprisoned at any moment, then you're going to need the care and the mercy of those who are outside. Kind of a pay it forward mentality. Help those who are in prison now because it could be you. How many of us have experienced times where we've helped people? We've reached out and we, we've tried our best to serve them 
And then suddenly we find ourselves in the same position, in the same desperate place of dependency on someone else and are hoping and praying that someone, someone comes forward to help us treat people as if you would want to be treated the same way. But this concept is about the character of a Christian. It's about our, our deepest places as Christians. Our entire faith is set upon the oppressed. Because ultimately, the gospel message that we know takes someone from death to life. How much more oppressed can one be than someone who can experience death in a spiritual sense? We know, we walk with people every day who we know that if God came back today, if he sent his son Jesus to come back and rapture all of us today, we know people personally that will not be taken to heaven. We know people personally who, if they died today, would spend eternity in hell. We know these things. Those are oppressed people. Those are the people that God calls us to reach out to. What can be more oppressing than that? What's more oppressing than living eternity separated from God? We have that message. We have that message that we can give. We don't help the oppressed because we hope that we will have a favor returned to us. No, not at all. That's not the reason we serve. We help the oppressed because that is a true outlet for our inner compassion. The compassion that builds inside of us as Christians has to come out. And that's the way it comes out, through compassion, through loving and caring for other people. The second point in this message is be pure. Be pure. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Now we're having fun. Of all the things, really, Mr. Author of Hebrews, why are you throwing this in the middle? It's so uncomfortable. Can we just talk about money or stuff? Why do you got to get into our business? The sanctity of the marriage vows implies two things that the author is talking about. One is the marriage bond is to be honored and not defiled. The second thing, the cause of Christ is honored or dishonored by a Christian's sexual behavior. All of us are called to sexual purity. And this message is for everyone in the room, married and not married. He includes all of us in here because he uses all the words that need to be used. The marriage bed that he talks about is talking specifically about sexual intercourse within the marriage. The trustworthiness, the safeness, the purity of that within a marital relationship. That's what he's talking about. Do not defile that. And then he talks about it points directly to adulterers, those stepping outside of the marriage, and the fornicators, those who are having sex outside the marriage bond. And these are, these are words that we need to press on. These are things that, that as, a, as a, a licensed therapist, I do marriage work every single day and work with couples every single day who for the majority come in trying to overcome infidelity 
or some type of marriage vow issue, some type of trust that's been broken. And I want to say some things to you this morning that are kind of pointed. Men, man up. Man up and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5 is very clear about several things. When Paul is writing this to the church of Ephesus, he's very clear when he says, women, respect your husbands. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's where it begins. Within the marriage, within the marriage bond and the covenant of marriage, Paul didn't say, women, respect and love your husbands. Paul did not say, men, respect and love your wives. He made it very specific. Women, respect your husbands. You know why? Because women don't naturally respect people. It's not a hit against you women. But men, when we see each other for the first time, meet each other for the first time, what do we do? You can speak. What do we do? We shake hands, right? It's automatic. How you doing? Good to meet you. Even if it's not good to meet you, we're still going to shake hands. We're respectful. We do that naturally. Women don't do that naturally. You don't see very many women walking around. How you doing? Shaking your hand. Sometimes it happens, maybe in the business world, but on the regular day in, day out, don't do that. So God commands women. Paul says, this is what you must do. Respect your husbands. And then he switches to us, guys. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We don't love naturally, do we? We're not filled with ushy-gushy stuff. We don't do that naturally. And I see it all the time. But not only does he command us to love our wives, he even qualifies it for us, right? As Christ loved the church. Guess what he did? He died for the church. So men, if we're laying down our lives for our wives and for our families, don't you think she would respect you? There are not many women who I talk to therapeutically and professionally who I say, if your husband loved you as Christ loved the church and acted like he wanted to die for you, would you respect him? Nah, it's just not me. I just don't really want to do that. I don't like people who die for me. It's kind of gross, stupid, selfish. No, there's nobody in here who would say no to that. So men, we must do that. Women, respect your husbands. Do what Paul has commanded you to do. Protect your marriage. Guys who are reaching out and looking into other relationships and forging relationships, some of you are sitting here, in here today who are in that trap right now. Stop it. Stop doing that right now. Women, you're not getting what you need at home. He's not talking to you. He's not spending time with you. So you found somebody who will talk to you and listen to you. Stop it. Stop it right now. Turn back to each other. Find help. Seek out help. Scream to God for help. And he will heal your marriage. I see it every day. He will heal it. Those of you who are not married, having sex outside of marriage, stop it. You're tearing your souls apart. God did not design it that way. There are many reasons for that. It's another message for another day. But he puts it right in the middle of this text because it's so powerful and it's so controlling and it takes a hold of so many parts of our being. 
be pure. It's clearly stated that God will judge us for this. The third thing, be content. Be content. Verse 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. The greed of gain and sexual impurity are often joined in life. One feeds the other. And Paul stated that love of money is the root of all evils. He linked immorality with greed. Why these things? Why are you putting these things in here? Money, sex. How many movies are made about those two things? All of them, right? Just about all of them in some capacity because they feed on each other. They draw us in. They capture us. They entrap us. They ensnare us. They entangle us into places that we cannot survive and they control us. He says, be content with what you have. I hate the word contentment. I don't want to be content. I'm not content with myself. I want things to be different all the time. Always trying to do something different. Trying to do something to, just to change something. And we as Christians can never be satisfied with ourselves. But we can be content with what God has given us. Those are two drastically different things. There are many godly people who are never content. We know people like this, and, and we look at them and we're like, God, oh, they're so godly. They love Jesus so much. But in the inside are always trying to do more, always trying to gain more, always wanting more and becoming more incapable of enjoying what they have. There's always the pursuit of money. I need more, I need more, I need more, I need to work more, work more, work more hours. We can never be content with ourselves. Paul said it very clearly. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content, he said. And he was never content with himself. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. He was content. He wasn't content with his physical condition either. He said and prayed over and over again, remove this thorn in my flesh. Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, was not content with himself. We need to admit that. We need to acknowledge that and just own it, that we cannot be content with ourselves. But he was content with what God had given him through Christ Jesus. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. We live in a very highly materialistic society, no doubt. The writer here is telling us that we should keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with the possessions we already have. How do we do that? Covetousness, such a hard word to say, covetousness, either of someone else's spouse or someone else's possessions, their stuff is like a snare that grabs us and holds us captive. It's a trap every time. So when we're confident in these things, not focused on materialism, coveting things that are not our own, then, then, verse 6, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? 
This verse seems to not only be talking about the fear of poverty, the fear of not having the things that we need, or not having things that we want, but also the fear of persecution. What can anyone do to me? And God offers this same assurance and peace. He, offers it to, he offered it to Joshua when he called him and turned the reins over from Moses to Joshua. He made that promise to him. In Psalm 118.6, this is the afflicted psalmist who's writing, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Many of us have fears. This morning we want to share a video with you of, uh, of a young lady from one of our other campuses. Watch this video with me. It was the morning of December the 2nd. We woke up and our youngest child, Cole, couldn't go to the bathroom. So we went to the pediatrician's office and they thought it was a UTI. So we, sent him, we came back home and the whole weekend he went through. We were flushing the water and um, it, it never got any better. So Monday morning we took him back and she goes, something's wrong, you know, if he still can't use the bathroom. So we sent him in for a sonogram. After the sonogram, she said, I need you to be in Savannah tomorrow at 12 o'clock. We have to go see a specialist. So we went to see the specialist and they said, let's go in for a CT. So they did a CT and it didn't look good on the CT. So they came in and they said that we would have to seek meet with a pediatric oncologist to see what it could be. And at that point, we're devastated because we knew what an oncologist was and it was the hardest thing that we could ever imagine with a child and being so young. So they went in um, that day and they came out and they said it was a cyst. And that was just a miracle to me because for, uh, for telling us, one, that it was, they thought that it might be something malignant and then it being benign and it was just a cyst was a lot better. So he was on antibiotics for six weeks and then we went back for surgery again. And they went in and they were gonna remove it and they had told us that they would, might have to do a lot of reconstruction to the bladder. So they went in um, to remove it, and he came out, and he wasn't in there 30 minutes. And he came out, and he goes, I need to take out something. And they were like, okay, because we didn't know what to expect at that point. Um, he said, there was nothing there to remove. It was gone, and that was just a miracle to us, because we knew that that was just God working. So God took it away and just removed it, and he, Pretty much was healed. Things started getting back And then just a short, just like two months went by, and I started feeling abdominal pain and um, weight loss and night sweats. Didn't really think much about it at first, but it led me to the ER I was diagnosed with pancreatitis then. You knew that. But he told me to follow up with a gastroenterologist because it didn't really make sense why I would have pancreatitis. So when we went to the gastroenterologist, he did CTs and they found a mass on my pancreas. 
then they thought it was pancreatic cancer. So they referred me to um, MUSC in Charleston. And Charleston is where I got a diagnosis that you'd never want to come here. It was cancer. And it was horrible. I, I, can't even, I can't even describe how that is, but after receiving that diagnosis, we were told that I would have to receive chemo, and that entitled to six treatments of um, six different chemos once every 21 days. And that was pretty hard because the first treatment I received within two weeks, I lost all my hair. During that time, we were in an awesome connect group at Jeremy's, and the love and support that we received from them was just awesome. They gave us food every time I had a treatment. They helped out, you know, if I needed anything. One chapter that stood out to me the most in the Bible was Matthew's chapter 9, verse 20 through 22, and it was a woman who had been sick for 12 years, and all she could, all she wanted to do was touch the hem of Jesus' cloak, and when she did, he turned around and he saw her and he healed her immediately. It was through her faith that, that she was healed. And that's what stood out to me the most. But I just believe that if I truly put my faith in God, that I would have been healed. And it was on December the 2nd that we received a call saying that my boss had come back negative and said that I was cancer free. So from December the 2nd of 2014 to December the 2nd of 2015, we received two miracles in one year. That was just an awesome thing. Just yesterday, I had a PET scan and I got the results back and I'm still cancer free. How great is that knowing that I'm still healed today? Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? You know, as we watch that, I know many of us sitting here, many of us, we ask those questions about a good God. And we wonder, I didn't, I didn't get the miracle. It didn't happen to me. So we think. I didn't receive what she received. Why? Is her faith stronger than mine? No. I'm still sick. He died. Still can't find a job. There's fear. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. Maybe you're one of those who's in here and fortunately you say, I'm not afraid of, of anything because nothing's ever happened to me because you're 10, right? Or maybe you've fortunately made it through to about 20 and you can still say that or 25 and say, I've really not had these fears. I dealt with these things. God, praise God. But you will because life continues to happen. Or maybe you're that person and you're experiencing or have experienced that 
of that sickness that won't go away. And you're constantly battling that. And God's promise in that is that, and and I don't mean to simplify this at all, but we're going to spend eternity with Christ if we know him. So an illness, a sickness, yes, it is here. And it is hard, it is difficult to walk through it. But he says to be content, not worrying about the things of this world that are temporary, but focus on what I've given you in Christ because one day you will be healed for eternity, not for six months, not for 20 years, but for eternity you will be healed. And for those of us who are left behind, those of us who did not experience the miracle and we lost that loved one, and we're left here in this very awkward, silent stage and it's quiet, God promises to never leave us or forsake us and walks with us through that grief process. He gives us those promises. How awesome is our God. So how do I, how do I not have fear in this scary life? How do I not fear the reality of life and what could happen? Well, after all these years of professional counseling, of all my years of ministry, I finally came up with the answer. Four words. I do not know. I'm just going to be honest with you. I do not ultimately know how it works, but I do know it works. I know when I stop looking around me and wishing things were different, and I focus on what Christ has blessed me with, it works. Fears begin to subside. Things begin to happen that I never knew could happen. In the midst of fear, there's peace. In the midst of hurt and struggles, there's peace. A peace that overwhelms us. Contentment is not about giving in and not working hard. Contentment comes from loving and caring for those around us. It comes from being pure and not look at others' relationships or possessions and wanting what they have. Contentment is knowing in our deepest places that God is ultimately the one who knows what is best for me. That God is the one who wants what's best for me. And that God is the one who will provide what is best for me. That's the promise he gives us. I don't know of any other promises that I want or need. The Lord is my helper. He will never leave me or forsake me. He will never leave you, 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 all of you. He will never leave you or forsake you. What can anyone, what can anyone do to me? Nothing. Nothing. Because ultimately, we will live with a Christ who loves us so much for all of eternity. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're eat up with fear. 
This fear is just consuming you. You brought it in, you plan on taking it out because it's your fear. You own that fear. And by gosh, you want to take it with you. But God, I hope has given you a word today. I hope God has spoken to your heart today and says, why do you fear? What do you fear when I can give you so much? And maybe right here and right now, because you are fearing, you're even fearing what I'm about to say next. But that fear comes from Satan, not from God. And because you may not have a relationship with a loving father, you need to begin that relationship today. And let those fears go. Put them at the cross of Christ. He can handle them. He's been doing it for years. So right here, right now, as God is speaking to your heart, you want to begin that relationship with Christ and say, the fear is gone. I want to trust in God the one who takes away fear, the one who gives me confidence, who gives me contentment in the things of life. You know God is calling you to do that today. Right here, right now, I want you to just lift your hand if that's the decision you want to make today. Lift your hand right where you are. We want to celebrate with you. We want to to love on you. We want to pray with you. Just lift your hand right where you are. It's hard for me to see. Is that one in the back back there? Got your hand up? Thank you, sir. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? So my prayer team is going to come grab you and wants to pray with you, bud. Anyone else? I know we're right at time, but I know God is still speaking to you. God is speaking to your heart, and these fears are, are still overwhelming. Even for us as Christians, we have to read this and remind ourselves of this text. I know I do. Walk out of here without fear. I fear about preaching this message this morning. Fears are all over us constantly. God wants you to leave that fear here. So I'm going to pray, and if you want to come forward and pray, our prayer team is going to be available this morning. And anyone else you want to go, we pray that you have a wonderful Mother's Day. Have a great day of of celebrating and, and taking care of mom. Don't forget to do that. She's going home to cook. You need to just run home, turn the oven off, and take her out to eat. Don't go to the same restaurant we're going to because it's going to be crowded. That's why we're not going to finish up till about one, just so it just takes away that the next service. But as we close, as I pray, please come forward and pray if you need to be prayed with. Somebody will be here. If not, we ask that you just quietly leave so people can pray. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion and we pray, God, as you work in our hearts that we continually love those around us, continually love the people we may never see or hear from again. Help us with our purity, God. Help us to stay focused on the relationships you put in our lives and do it the way you want us to do it. And God, most of all, if we do those things, we pray for that contentment that only comes from you. The life that you've blessed us with, the things that you can give us, God, are eternal things. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.